All right, guys. Uh, good good evening to everybody. Hope everybody had a wonderful Christmas. Um, and uh, got uh, lots of cool drone stuff or you know whatever you were wishing for. Um, so tonight with us is uh, Dan, Alex, and Dave. Um, and uh, just wanted to. It's been a slow news cycle, to be honest. But it looks like we made the um, news. We sure did, and this is from SUAS News. Um, and Gary Mortimer over there, uh, wrote an article. It's just a quick little snippet. Um, and, uh, so he says, well done to Josh Bixler of the FTCA and David Messina of the FPV Freedom Coalition and the Legion of others from both organizations for getting their FAA community-based organization status. Um, if you are not a Part 107 operator in the USA, you must fly by the rules of one of the three CBOs available. Um, you don't have to be a member of them, but you do need to fly in accordance with one of them. It's a glimmer of hope that voices other than the AMA will be in the room. One um, thing I'd like to, links... to point out really quick is when people say, hey, yo, if you're not a Part 107, if you are a Part 107 and you're flying recreationally, mm -hmm. you still need to follow the CBO guidelines as far as Correct. I understand it. Yes, Correct. 100%. And again, that comes to intent, right? So... Um, if you're a Part 107 operator, but you are flying recreationally and you're choosing to have the intent of flying recreationally, then you do need to fly under a set of safety guidelines. Same um, reason why 107 also needs trust if they're flying recreationally and their 107 right. test doesn't account for anything. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, the other flip side to this is that um, you can also choose which set of safety guidelines you want on a per flight basis. So if uh, FPV uh, FC's uh, safety guidelines fits for one flight, uh, FTCA's fits for another flight, or you know if you choose to go with the AMA and they fit for another flight, um, they're all options for you from a flight to flight basis. Um, just keep in mind that if challenged, you need to be able to state what uh, set of safety guidelines you are operating under. Um, he provides the link to the FPVFC, FTCA, um, and kind of shoots a little dig at the AMA here. The other one has held back the hobby so much that I'm not inclined to look for their guidance, is what he says. <laughs> so, um, and he does mention that you will need to take the FAA trust test to comply with either the FPVFC or flight test. I think it would, uh, he mentions the Boy Scouts of America. I did not know that they offered the trust test. Um, so, uh, um, either of them, we, we tend to lean towards Pilot Institute. Uh, Greg does a, a great job over there and his team of uh, making things easy to understand and uh, definitely puts a, uh, offers it for free and uh, has a lot of uh, different classes you can take, some for free, some are paid. Um, but if you're looking to you know get your Part 107, it's a good place to go. Speaking of Greg, I don't know if you're going to show this later on the news, but he, had, he has a video yeah, related to this. That's the video I want to show. So, um, and then he offers, uh, you know, if you want to jump through or create your own CBO, here's the hoops. And they are extensive. It's a little bit more than just what he wrote, but um, you need to be a 501c3 exempt from tax um, under the 501a uh, mission, which is demonstrably the furtherance of mod model aviation. Good grief. Um, a comprehensive set of safety guidelines um, 
provide programming support to local charter organizations, affiliates, and clubs, provide assistance and support in the development of, and operation of lo locally designated model aircraft flying sites. So good to be in the news, uh, good to be in the news in a good way. Um, and uh, thanks, uh, Gary, over at S uh, UIS News. So speaking of Pilot Institute, um, I'm hoping this comes through. Um, let's see what happens. Might have to turn it up. It's usually quiet on our end. Yeah. Any size for recreational purposes in the United States, That's good. you have to select a community-based organization guideline or CBO guidelines. Let's take a look at three FAA-approved CBOs, their guidelines, and which one is best for you and then when you need them. Let's get to it. First, you may be wondering what a CBO actually is, and that is a great question. A CBO is a nationwide non-for-profit organization that promotes recreational flying, and they also offer community events, seminars, guidance, any type of mentorship for those that are interested in getting into the hobby. They also offer guidelines on how to operate your drone safely. And as of the end of 2022, you must, you must choose FAA guidelines that are approved by the FAA before you fly your drone recreationally, regardless of the size of your drone. The CBOs in this video are Flight Test Community Association, FPV Freedom Coalition, and the Academy of Model Aeronautics, also called AMA. Now, if you're not familiar, Flight Test Community Association is the arm of Flight Test, the popular YouTube channel that puts out very educational and very entertaining videos on flying foamy airplanes. Uh, Flight Test also spends tremendous time educating the younger generation using their STEM program nationwide. Uh, we will refer to them as FTCA for the rest of the video to make things a little bit easier. FPV Freedom Coalition is an avid voice for first-person view pilots across the country, and they work closely with legislators to protect the privilege of airspace access across the country. The Academy of Model Aeronautics, or AMA, has a variety of clubs across the country where members can fly mostly fixed-wing RC aircraft and share their passion with other like-minded individuals. Now, let's be clear here, you can select a CBO guideline before each flight, a different one if you want to. CBOs typically have specialties, whether it's fixed-wing RC, FPV flying, or flying very large drones, and pretty much everything in between. Now, you might like FTCA for flying your fixed-wing RC aircraft, but the FPV Freedom Coalition guidelines might make a lot more sense when you're flying your quadcopter. And no, access to these guidelines does not require membership to a CBO. It is free, and this is very, very clear from the FAA. If you're flying under Part 107, this is not necessary at all. I want you to stop the video and move on to the next one. The Unless you're flying recreationally. FTCA and Freedom Coalition were actually pretty easy <laughs> to find on their website, on the homepage. Uh, the AMA, on the other hand, had us digging around about six pages before we could find a document, and even then it wasn't really clear at all that we had the right one. Every guidelines that we saw covers a variety of what I call common sense rules. You'll quickly know what I'm talking about once you start reading them. I'm not going to cover any of those, but uh, let's talk about an important aspect of flying unmanned aircraft, which is flying near or over people or near objects or over objects. And if you want to follow along, you can download the, the cheat sheet that we put in the description. I think it's going to make your life a little bit easier. All three CBOs in this uh, video prohibit flying over people, which actually makes sense because it's also not allowed under Part 107. Keep in mind that if you've heard about categories of drone like 
category one, two, or three, this is only a rule under part 107, which means that if you're flying for recreational purposes, it is not going to apply to you. In addition to not flying over people, FTCA states that you should remain 25 feet away from other pilots and also 50 feet away from spectators. The FPV Freedom Coalition guidelines state that you should not disrupt or pose a danger to emergency response, which makes sense, large gatherings and civil infrastructures. And if you're wondering what civil infrastructures actually are, they are your power, water, and transportation infrastructures that you can find across the nation. Think about your water treatment facility, your large power distribution sites, etc., etc. Note that the FPV Freedom Coalition guidelines do not mention any distance from other pilots and other spectators, which I think makes sense because under Part 107, there's also no such limitation, and they're more geared towards the, 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 the quadcopter flying type of operation. The AMA had some conflicting information about distance from people and objects. Uh, in one paragraph it stated that you must stay 100 feet away from spectators during free flight, but in another it mentions 25 feet away from individuals, 50 feet away from spectators, and 50 feet from power lines. Their guidelines also specify that you should not fly over occupied structure. This one had us scratching our head a little bit. Does this mean that you cannot fly over houses with people in them? Uh, your guess in this case is as good as ours. Let's talk about visual line of sight or VLOS. All CBOs mention that visual observers are going to be optional unless the pilot is using FPV goggles. They also all mention that the visual observer, if one is being used, must be co-located next to the pilot. This means that your VO, visual observer, can be a mile away down the road from you using a radio to communicate. It can be confusing because this method is actually allowed under part 107 and uh, it can be a little bit confusing, maybe not a mile away, but it can be not co-located, let's put it this way. FTCA matches the requirements for part 107 when it comes to visual line of sight, which requires that both the operator and the visual observer, if one is used, must be able to see the drone at all times, but that only one of them must see the drone at all times. Now it can get confusing here, uh, replay what I just said. The visual observer and the pilot must be able to see but only one of them must see the aircraft at all times. So for example, if you have your goggles on and you're the pilot at all time, you should be able to see the drone if you were to remove the goggles. And your visual observer should always look at the drone, should always see the drone when you're under the goggles. Now the FPV Freedom Coalition guidelines on visual line of sights were pretty close with the only exception that either the VO or the pilot must be able to see the drone at all time. This means that in theory, the drone could disappear from the pilot's view as long as it is in the VO's view. But keep in mind that your VO must be co-located so it's almost the same end result at the end. There's a very, very minute difference here. You just can't daisy chain VOs to fly 10 miles away from the pilot. On the FPV Freedom Coalition guidelines, they are applicable to FPV and also non-FPV operation. For specific FPV operation, the Flight Test Community Association, the FTCA, requires that you are familiar with FPV operations before you go fly FPV which makes sense, and that you announce powering the aircraft, which is also a good habit even if it's not in the guidelines. They also prohibited FPV operation for drones over 55 pounds, so if you're looking to do this, those are not going to be the guidelines for you. Now, we were pretty disappointed to find that not only did the AMA have guidelines for flying FPV indoors, where it's not controlled by the FAA and the FAA has no authority, they also required membership in order to fly FPV under their guidelines. The FAA is pretty clear that membership is not required 
required to follow approved guidelines, so we're not quite sure how they were able to uh, get away with that one. The last topic I want to talk about is night operations. Both the FTCA and the AMA required an anti-collision light visible from three statute miles. This is the same as part 107. Uh, FTCA specified that in an area that is well lit, you can forego the use of anti-collision light, which makes sense. If the drone is highly visible, you don't need to have those on. They also recommend flying at night using a guide or a mentor if you are a novice. The AMA went one step further in requiring that you also have a light that shows attitude and the direction of flight. They also required night training through the AMA, which we're guessing is actually not free. So that's another ding right here. We were surprised to see that that no specific night operation information was in the FPV Freedom Coalition guidelines. Keep in mind, if you own a small drone under 250 grams, putting a light on top of it for night flying might take you over the 250 gram limit, which requires registration. Now, registration is only $5. It's good for three years. It's also available on the FA Drone Zone website. This is something that you need to plan for before your next night flight. The DJI Mini 2, for example, uh, with using a firehouse light, most of the firehouse lights, uh, it is still under 250 grams or 0.55 pounds. But using a Mini 3 Pro, for example, putting any lights on top of that one would put it over the limit. So know your drone, know your limits in this case. There were also a few interesting nuggets. The FPV Freedom Coalition, for example, had a great definition of ground level, which clarified that flying from the top of a 200-foot building, for example, is going to put you 200 foot above the ground already. I'm glad actually to see that definition in there because it was one of the things that I asked the FAA to clarify in the new advisory circular, and I'm glad that the FAA did, and I'm glad that the uh, FPV Freedom Coalition put that in there as well. Another nugget, not such a good one, is that the AMA limits 4S batteries for drone racing. Uh, the current standard for drone racing is 6S batteries, so it sounds like a lot of FPV racers, including multi-GP, might want to find new guidelines in order to make, uh, in order to remain within the actual rules of the FAA. If you plan to fly your drone over 55 pounds, that's another nugget, and you want to do that recreationally using the AMA guidelines, you will need to fly at a AMA fixed site, which more than likely requires membership in order to follow those rules. It's usually in their bylaws, it's usually in the letter of agreement that uh, they receive from the tower. And also flying a turbine-powered RC aircraft uh, is also going to require some kind of fee. There's a $15 application fee on the AMA website for that last one. From here, go ahead, download the guidelines, read all the details, print a copy of it, follow the guidelines during each flight, leave a comment in the section if you have any question, and then uh, make sure you fly safely. We'll see you on the next video. Josh, are you not subscribed to Pilot Institute? Uh, I must not be. The evidence is right there. <laughs> Boom. Done. <laughs> I watch their videos all the time. I do that a lot with YouTube. I don't subscribe to a ton, but I seek them out. So, you know, I'm a little weird like that. <clears throat> but uh, there was one yeah. there was one correction I'd, uh, I'd call out. And other, I mean, I'm you know, grateful for Greg to Greg. Great mm -hmm. video. But the he's. He described uh, us as working closely with legislators. Of course, we work closely with the FAA, not legislators. If we were to work closely with legislators, we would be a lobbying organization, which is a 501c6, which certainly when we found out that uh, to be a CBO back in late 2018, when we read this, uh, it, was, it was curious that the uh, FAA 
was looking for organizations that by definition could not be lobby organizations. Right. So that's fine, but we're, we're not a lobby organization. We do not spend a lot of time uh, with uh, uh, legislators, uh, ref specifically uh, federal, congressional representatives and senators. Uh, a 501c3 is allowed to spend a little bit of time and it's normally a percentage of uh, revenue gathered. So we're not lobbyists. We don't spend a lot of time there uh, because it would uh, uh, be uh, in violation of our agreement to be a 501c3. Right. And Other than that, this, great, great video. A lot of the stuff that we seek out for legislator contact is we reach out to the community to uh, make that contact. I mean, obviously, as an right. individual or right. as a organization, we can make that limited contact, but we seek out the community to make that contact. And, you know, that that comes, uh, uh, it becomes much more impactful for individuals to do that, especially since generally you can only reach out to your local uh, Congress people. And um, so I'm reaching out to Arizona, Alex is reaching out to uh, what, Pennsylvania? Maryland. Maryland, Maryland. Yeah. Well, I'm in both states equal amount of time. I know. <laughs> so right? I get it. So, <laughs> and, and so on and so forth. So that, um, you know, we're, we're spreading it out and, and getting that contact out. So, um, but I yeah, loved, definitely not a lot of, I love Greg's video. There, there was a few points in there where he just, um, sort of quickly makes some underhand or some comments about the AMA where you can tell Greg's not real thrilled with it. Just things like, oh, you know, I went to FPVFC's website. Oh, there's like safety guidelines. Oh, the FTCA's guidelines. Great. Right there. Uh, AMA, where are your guidelines again? Oh, yeah, they're buried way underneath your website. And oh, yeah, this man. this requires you to take a test that you have to pay for from the AMA before you can do this. Yeah, and I think uh, there's a lot of that going around. And I mean, both, I mean, just in, in the two articles tonight, whether it's, you know, the video or, or SUIS news, there's digs coming out. So it's it's definitely interesting. And, and I, I just wanted to highlight some of the, the key differences between us. Um, and uh, the differences, honestly, are minor, but uh, sometimes they can be significant. So we were able to skate free of, of having to dictate anything on night operations and, you know, recreational, uh, the, the exception for recreational operators, uh, doesn't have a limit on night operations. So why should we? And so that's, and we brought, that's definitely yeah, important. That, so that's important because we left it out that, that, that you means can you it. can fly at night. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. You just have without, to follow the same. Any, same rules you would during the day. You have to be able to see your drone. So at night, mm -hmm. if you can't see it, you might want some sort of light on it so you can see it some distance. Yeah. You know, use your best judgment, right? So, um, I mean, at, in the, at the end of the day, it's all, it all comes down to you as the operator, you know, and what rules you're flying by and your best judgment on how you can accomplish, you know, what, whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. So, um, you know, it's, it's definitely, you know, pick your poison, right? So, um, we're, you know, Dan and Dave and Blunty and Alex, everybody worked really hard on getting those rules done, uh, for us and getting them submitted through, I don't know how many cycles, what, five cycles through the FAA, um, hours or FTCA. 
Uh, ours was ours three, Out, ours two. two. Okay, and then uh, FTCA was five, right? Other eight. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I'm not sure yeah. that they told us how many yeah. times they went, not, but it was quite a few. Yeah, not ours. Yeah, not ours to not ours to say. Oh wait. Yeah. Oh, never mind. Sorry, I was thinking for a so, different number. At any rate, uh, you know, it's it's definitely uh, it was a process, and so um, you know, great work to everybody. And Greg has a link in that YouTube video to a yes. a good comparison. I don't know if you were planning on bringing that up. Yep, I was. So let me get this opened up here. So, and I'm pretty uh, sure he spent quite a few hours going over everybody's guidelines and making comparisons and making that video. <laughs> <I think he's laughs> <it. laughs> so uh, you can see some of the major differences here. Um, looks like you linked it already, but. Um, Obviously, uh, there's there's definitely differences in terms of, uh, you know, flying over people. Uh, well, no differences in flying over people, but near people and objects. Yeah, you um, can't fly over. Isn't no flying over people in the advisory circular? Or in um, so you, the operations over people, it, I think, uh, requires a waiver. Uh, well, that's the part no, it doesn't require waivers. Yeah. So. <laughs> Dave, you're nodding your head. Which one is it? <laughs> it's in there, but it's in both. Uh, the uh, the operate uh, OOP is a is a a 107 provision, and I'm not. I don't think there is any uh, uh, restriction to fly over people in the AC uh, AC 9157C. But I could be wrong on that one. Yeah, but, in recreational, um, you can't fly over people. Uh, that that's explicit. So. Um, but uh, I think, uh, if I remember correctly, they updated the 107 test for operations over people. Yeah. And Maybe I'm yes. thinking like, that it was one of those strong recommendations that they wanted all the CBOs to have that in their guidelines. Yeah, but yeah. I think for commercial purposes, especially for the sake of like news gathering, um, sometimes that's necessary. So um, anyway, uh, you know, differences in visual observers slightly. Um, not major, um, although FPV ops requires an AMA membership. Uh, you know, let's uh, let's continue <laughs> so to stick it to FPV. Have any right? of you looked at the, where does it say that in the AMA guidelines that to fly? I don't FPV, know. You I don't. I don't member. frequent the. I don't frequent the AMA website. So, <laughs> but it, I'm sure if Greg saw it, it's got to be in there. If he said it in his video, yeah. that's a little weird. Yeah, I. So. I I read it. I read that the the ten documents and they're. There were references as, uh, to members, and um, yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't clear to me. I, I am an AMA member, have been for decades, um, and so I was you know, signed in you know, inside their uh, their paywall. So, so it was like, mm, okay, you know, so it just was not clear to me whether mm -hmm. you needed to be a member, and they kept referring to. Uh, the individuals um, adhering to the safety guidelines as members. And so uh, the, there is more than an implication. I, and I, I agree with Greg's findings. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was, I was an F or an AMA member for all of a year. And that was just so I could fly with a, a local group of uh, uh, old guys um, <laughs> that uh, got a kick out of FPV and my FPV wing and stuff like that. And, um, uh, we joined them because, uh, one of the guys that flew with them, 
was uh, one of the lead testers on like graphene batteries when they first came out. And I mean, the dude had just a wealth of knowledge on batteries and uh, soldering batteries and, and doing all this crazy stuff with batteries and, and Overcharging stuff. So, them. <laughs> listen, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, just a wealth of knowledge on, on, on uh, batteries. And when I was first starting in the hobby, he was a, a godsend on, on that kind of information. So um but uh at any rate uh so yeah. brian had a it. question in the chat about uh has the fa ever defined what is over people you know to be honest not explicitly not, not explicitly they they do characterize uh an assembly of people and they have uh, explicitly chosen not to describe uh, the n a number that uh, constitutes an assembly and so uh, it, this is written up in excruciating detail in operations over people document uh, with category one, two, and three, mm -hmm. I think, and four. Yeah, yeah I've, I've heard the FAA, some people from the FAA describe it, saying it, well, it's, it's vague on purpose and um, it's fine to cross over people, like to fly, you know, and mm -hmm. momentarily go across somebody's. Like perpendicular, yeah path or where they are transiting but, right yeah transit across yeah. but you can't hover above them but does that mean like is above oh. them like directly and you're like one inch off to the side but it's going to be like well if if you get called into court you have to defend whether you were above them or not and i guess it's right. up to the that's, court to decide yeah and that's going to be the same for any type of violation right you've got to defend what you were doing and so you know again it comes back to use your best judgment when it comes to flying over people right so um, you know, if it's transitory and, and you're moving from point A to point B, then, you know, you can do that. Um, but you know, just again, use your best judgment. And, and we fly so, FPV drones, so we're not hovering over anyone, right? <laughs> we are always I mean, moving forward. Almost always. <laughs> I mean, it depends, right? Sometimes you can hover, but I mean, it, it's just think about, think about, you know, if, if a malfunction were to happen and what would be the end result of that based on what you were doing? So, I mean, I've had an aircraft malfunction, you know, 10 feet in front of me when I should have had a solid connection and fail safe. So, you know, it just depends on, you know, crap happens sometimes. So, <laughs> um, let's see. I wonder if the FAA views altitude in that as well. I think we've all just had a drone. <laughs> yeah. So I would say FAA views on altitude would probably be very specific. Well, the higher um, you are, the harder it is to tell if you're right over somebody. That's what I think right. he's trying to get at there. Okay, that makes sense. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, I don't, honestly, I, would, I normally wouldn't have played a 10-minute video, but the news cycle is extremely slow right now for anything besides Ukraine and uh um iran and all of the crap that's going on in the world right now but uh i thought this was kind of cool in case you ever wanted to see what what homes frozen over looks like <laughs> um there you go they, they look like models they don't they look do. real it's like somebody poured some icing over a gingerbread house yeah <laughs> where is this there's no cars it's oh, wait, never mind. Oh, there's a, a tractor. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so the the drone is flying over uh, the, a lake, and or yeah. the ocean. I'm not sure which the ocean, video I think. was. 
looking at the houses that are looking out at the ocean then. And so strong winds and cold temperatures made huge waves that just froze the entire fronts of those houses. That's so insane. Like, oh, (laughs) God. But yeah. Um, Let's see. This is in uh, Ontario in Canada. So. Um, but obviously, uh, a lot of northern states, uh, Buffalo, um, had uh, some heavy yeah, hit. So, yeah, we lost, I think, 31 people in those storms, so yeah, uh, very, very tragic. And uh, I'm sure uh, Dan could tell stories about what you should carry in your car and uh, in terms of uh, emer- an emergency situation. This is something we took seriously in Texas with uh, you know, water and uh, enough gas in the car when you're out in the sticks in texas uh it was it's very serious and uh, uh a very sad situation in buffalo where people were most of the fatalities were people stranded in their cars yeah i guess i just assume everybody was taught the same thing i was when i was learning to drive um what kind of emergency kit you should have in your car and this was back before cell phones so yeah you were mm-hmm. had to be uh, self-sufficient and expect to get, get right. stuck in the snow with no help for a day right right yeah yeah it's in so, here in upstate new york it's not I mean, you know no one thinks about it we don't we don't talk about there's no education uh you know for kids in this and it's uh uh it couldn't hurt yeah, yeah. so red jay says uh onboard cameras are getting better in low light will we be adding night operation allowances to cbo guidelines um you are allowed to fly under our guidelines with night flying. Uh, the reason that there is no night flying uh, specific stuff in our safety guidelines is because there is no night flying specific restrictions there, in the FAA. Right. There are no restrictions, right? right. So, Typical of the FAA, uh, lack, lack of wording means it's okay. Right. So... Yep. We are permissive. I mean, our 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 safety guidelines are permissive on night flying, just as the FAA regulations are. The only restrictions on night flying uh, from the FAA come from Part 107, uh, and that's the point where you need to have the light for three statute miles. You know, yada yada yada. So, and this uh, this is the point. This is the point where we were on with the FAA about. You're making rules, you know, you're overstepping and you're, you're using the uh, advisory circular process to set rules. And so now we have two of the three uh, CBOs uh, have complied with that uh, direction from the, uh, the FAA. And so we'll see where this uh, goes over time. Meaning yeah, um, we'll see if we're pushed push to make, add restrictions to our safety guidelines. The other rule you might run into is if you try to get Lance authorization for flying at dawn, dusk, or at night, you'll get rejected as a recreational yep. operator. So if you're operating right. in controlled airspace. Yeah. Um, Meat yep. was asking, what does a three statute mile light look like? I assume like the lights that uh, Greg was showing in his video mm-hmm. that he was putting on top of the DJI drones. That's correct. They're, uh, uh, thir- I think they're 34 grams or something like Firehouse, right? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a that's one that uh, Nick, Moss, Nick Moss uses, and he's uh, um, very supportive of it. Yeah, but yeah. Little, if you're doing uh, an FPV flight and your visual observer has to watch your drone at night, just a couple little LEDs are all you need to be able to see it pretty far. 
Right. Yeah, and yeah, I, and there's the, even one the that's three, a little circular one that shines all around it too. So it's just right. And the you of uh, note is the the three statute mile light is should be placed on the top of the drone because it's an anti collision. It's intended for crewed or manned aircraft to see your your drone. So you know if you want to be seeing it from the ground, then put some LEDs on the bottom of the drone. What do you use that for, Alex? Um, if I fly my DJI stuff at night, I haven't put on a racing quad because I'm not sure how I'm going to attach it yet. It usually uses Velcro, but I don't trust that <laughs> with the way I fly. <laughs> or the way you crash. Yeah. How many how many G's can that Velcro handle? <laughs> I don't know, but I know my racing quads average about five to six when I fly. Yeah, so wow. uh, KBS Ken is right. There's, there's uh, ones that are smaller. Uh, they're just like little uh, yeah. looking for something on my desk that's about that size, maybe, you know, that big um, that sits on the top of your, your drone and, and can do that. But, um, but uh, let's see. <laughs> um, yeah, don't look at them when powering Surprised that on. didn't yeah, blind the camera. And a lot of them strobe, right, Alex? Yes, this one is currently, well, it, it was, was strobing. So, so apparently you need oh, to there. Here we go. Now, oh, every time I'll... <laughs> I don't know what rate it's stro there. It, I think it's just doing two flashes at a time and yeah. then breaking for a while. I don't know. Okay. I, I can't figure out this power button. It's a, it's a low quality power button because it gets right, stuck right. all the time. <laughs> all right. So Red J says, what baffles me is why drones that are 1K plus just don't come stock with one uh, a three statute mile light by now. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you would think that it, it should. Um, a lot of people but... don't fly at night and don't don't need it, but I mean, an option would be nice, right? So, all right. So, last thing I have, uh, and I've seen articles on these guys before flying at Grimm's Brothers. So this is in Loveland, Colorado. Um, but uh, they're doing uh. Uh, both Tiny Whoop races as well as um, uh, Street League style racing um, in a brewery uh, called Grimm's Brothers. Um, and I've seen this before. Maybe it was Jesse Perkins that posted uh, something like this uh, a while ago, but this is uh, an ongoing thing. Um, so... Uh, if you're in the Colorado area and it's the I have fourth uh, Tuesday, is it fourth Tuesday? Let's see. Hold on. Uh, yep. Every fourth Tuesday from now until April, they're going to be doing uh, flying through there and they're flying through the, the beer halls and uh, right now around Christmas trees and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, um, Street League Racing also did a, an event at... Uh, um, Edgewater in uh, flight test headquarters, uh, maybe what about two months ago, I think. Um, and they did a video on that. So, um, Street League's starting to, to make the rounds and good on them, they're they're uh, doing good stuff. So, um, but yeah, that's literally all I have for articles because it is just <laughs> dry as a bone out there for, for news. So, well, related uh, to the CBO stuff, Joshua Bardwell also did a video with uh mm, yes dave and josh bixler from ftca so if people haven't watched that they should definitely check that video out too um and i don't know dave was there some 
common comments on Joshua Bardwell's video that we should cover in our meeting? Um, uh, yeah, there were a good set. So it's, it's gotten 12,000 views in one day uh, being up. Uh, so that's a good rate. Uh, and uh, when any topic uh, approaching remote ID comes up, the normal set of comments are very negative and um, uh, uh, not uh, uh, not pleasant to read, uh, derogatory toward us, toward uh, the video, toward the FAA, toward pretty much everything. Interestingly, there was a, uh, a trend uh, of positivity in the uh, in the comments. Um, and happily, a lot of people who were watching knew Josh Bixler and were very complimentary to Flight Test, Flight Test Community Association, and Josh for what he's done, which I think is great. He has done a lot. And um, uh, let's see, the, there were uh, questions, and one of the questions that was left uh, open, and in fact, during the filming, uh, Josh asked me the question, and then said, and I said, I don't know. And so he was thrilled that he had stumped me. Uh, we had a good, uh, good laugh over that. But uh, when it was released, and he's now since clipped that uh, question, um, uh, we uh, we left that question out. So I answered that. That came up three or four times uh, in the question. Let me see if they if I can get the question right. You have a if you're flying in a Freya. You have a home-built UAS without remote ID. Can I fly under Part 107? And we believe the answer is yes. So if this is important for people testing um, uh, uh, drones, and you know they receive them and they don't have a remote ID, uh, or it's uh, an aircraft intended for indoors, and you take it outside. Has yes. no remote ID device on it. So the way I wrap my head around that is, <clears throat> there's two sets of rules. There's rules for manufacturing a drone and rules for flying a drone. So if you're building a drone, you have to follow the manufacturing rules and you have to create standard remote ID and all that stuff. If if you're building a drone in the United States, unless you're building it for your own um, home built purposes for recreational purposes. But let's say. You didn't build this drone. You just have it. And now you want to go fly it as part 107. Well, you're not the manufacturer of it. You can take it to Afria and fly it under the operator rules, which say you can fly in Afria with no remote ID. That's how we're interpreting how that works. Yeah, I think that's a good, a very good way to look at it. I it's like the intent of the build was not for part 107. But once it's built, you could Ooh. use it that way. Yeah, exactly. I just found this laying on the ground, and now I'm going to go fly. <laughs> and here's the thing: I don't quads, think, but this one still works, <laughs> right? And so, I mean, I think the thing that that you know ultimately we need to to understand is that it's not a problem until it's a problem, right? So, whatever the case may be, if you're out there doing what you need to do, you know, and you're doing it safely. I don't think the FAA is going to give, you know, a crap, you know, to be honest with you that you're in a Fria, you're flying part 107 without remote ID. I mean, you're in what would be considered a safe zone, right? 
So if that's the case, you're and you don't injure anybody, and you're staying below the the 400 foot if it's in class G, and you're applying for Lance if you have to, and you're going through all these steps. You know, I don't think they're going to care. Now it becomes a problem if somebody gets injured or you're, you know, shooting up to 10,000 feet for whatever reason. Then it becomes a problem, and you know, it's going to wow. be you know looked at a different way. I imagine. So, um, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I just, I think a lot of times the, the policing on this is going to be case by case basis at this, you know, now if you're out there flying a drone without remote ID and you're not in a Freya and you're doing stuff, I think that's going to be a problem, but, um, that remains to be seen on, you know, what the enforcement on that's going to look like. And just a reminder that the operator rules come into effect in the middle of September, 2023. Mm-hmm. Right. Good point. Good and point. And that, that sort of segues into FRIAs, the FAA recognized uh, identification area. Identification area. area. <laughs> <laughs> don't know why I don't have that memorized yet. But that's why uh, those are important once that comes into effect and you want to fly a drone without remote ID on it. And yes, right. today, you, it does, there are no recognized. Well, there are no FRIAs from the FAA yet, but we have started the process of requesting some of them. Right, Alex? I've applied four. for four so far one. and working on the, working a few others. <laughs> yeah, no, so this is, this is curious. I got the answer back from the FAA. So we brought the point up that I think two weeks ago that uh, we observed that you did not have to be signed in under the, right, so far, single... Uh, ID that we have for uh, FBVFC to submit an application. Interestingly, when when I look uh, for all of the free applications that have been posted, uh, I find one, mine, and not uh, Alex's and not uh, uh, Dan's. So the I then looked again at the, uh, and this is, you know, we, I, we will take a look at this, but we think there's some confusion here. There's certainly, uh, uh, we need a little better communication with the FAA to figure out what is it they want the CBOs to do. Uh, this has not been, uh, we know it's, you know, it's not clear to us, and I don't think it's clear to the other CBOs. Um but the, the FAA came back and said, oh, no, it has to go through a CBO, uh, any application of a FRIA. What you saw, Mr. Messina, uh, on the, the CBO dashboard was a request for a fixed site, which, of course, is can I, may I fly in controlled airspace? has nothing to do with a FRIA. Yeah, maybe or Alex Wright so, should send you a screenshot of what we yes. see because it's probably different Here, than what you see. I'll pull that up see. really quick. Um, yeah, please do. Yeah. And and we're while he's p- pulling that up, we'll reply to to Shawnee D that currently, as we understand it, if you are a Part One Hundred Seven pilot and you want to build a drone, let's say you want to build a Cinelifter for a movie set, you would be a manufacturer of that drone. You would have to comply with all the manufacturing rules. You would have to have a standard remote ID, which means you have to broadcast Check. the live location of the operator at all times. And meet well all those other requirements, and has to have broadcasting. Has to have a, power, a pre a pre flight safety test that if it fails, the RID system 
it prevents the um, aircraft from taking off. Pretty much yeah. currently impossible uh, yeah. for any hobbyist so, to build one of those on their own. So that is in direct conflict with what we were told on January 21st, 2021, by the executive director of the FAA, of the, UA the UAS Integration Office, <coughs> who's now retired as of last week. Uh, and that was okay. contradicted in, sep in September uh, by several uh, FAA staff. Uh, and that was uh, confirmed uh, with uh, one of our colleagues who um, uh, flies for uh, the film industry uh, in California. And he contacted uh, his um, uh, FISDO, uh, who contacted the FAA um, headquarters remote ID office, and they confirmed that uh, that answer just as as Dan was characterizing it. So we're not happy with that answer. That, mm -hmm. And that means that, so we have to come up with a way to allow a small manufacturer to create standard remote ID. That's an issue. It also means that if you're a Horizon Hobby or Rotor Riot or Race Day Quads or Get FBV and you're selling uh, BNFs, bind and fly or ready to fly, that that has to be a standard remote ID. Uh, if you intend it to fly outside, if you intend it to fly inside, then there's, the FAA is not um, uh, author. Not there's no author, no yeah. jurisdiction, no authorization. Who knows if someone's going to try this or not? But you could try to build a drone. Say this was for indoor use only. Hey, look, I found this drone. It's already built. Now it's been manufactured. I'm going to go fly it outside as part of 107. Could it's, you use that? Yes, we we anticipate that that will happen. Yeah. And I also think that, again, it comes back to, it, it could come back to a question around intent. This is a big thing with the FAA is this intent, right? I, I built this model intending to use it for recreational, but right. I got a job, you know, two weeks ago to fly it commercially. So it, and it has remote ID on it via module. But, you know, I'm still complying with the rules, but, you know, it just happens to be a home built. So it's it's this weird gray area that it, we had clarification yeah. on it. They rescinded the clarification on it and now they're saying something different. And so, right. I mean, the, the, the goal of the FAA is to get everything on standard remote ID. Well, unfortunately, there's an entire hobbyist community that outclasses commercial and everything else. So uh, it's just it, it's. They, they don't understand who their users are. So, um, and again, I don't, again, I don't know that they care a whole lot. They're, they're out there to make regulations and, and comply. So and to meet question there, I assume Dave, that was not in writing. That was a, in a meeting you had with Jay, right? Yeah, that's correct. It's verbal. Yeah. Yes. I did bring more than one person with me. <laughs> the FAA <laughs> likes to do things verbally so that they're not officially recorded anywhere. And here's the mm -hmm. thing, the, the entire U.S. government likes to do things verbally. Yeah. Uh, they will avoid writing emails. They will avoid doing all this stuff because all that stuff is subject to FOIA requests. So right. the more that they can do verbally as opposed to putting in writing outside of official channels, um, they're going to do that. So, yeah, good times. Yeah, I have it pulled up if you guys want me to share screen. Yeah, go for it. Okay, just one second taking a few screenshots that I've been posting in our 
main. There, while you're bringing that up, Alex, there was an interesting thought for Prius for FPV racing. And so as we've been discussing for a long time, we have requested that the FAA create a, uh, a rapid stand-up of a free of to support FPV racing. They, uh, in uh, 89 uh, AC Circular 89-3 on Prius, they did come up with an event uh, which they promised to respond to in 90 days. That's uh, so we think two weeks is probably good. Weird. 90 days is not good <laughs> enough. So uh, the, the recommendation that came up was one one individual said, well, as part of the discussions with the FAA, why don't you suggest that you bring along one broadcast module and turn it on for the race? And I was like, ooh. So, Alex, I would, if you, know, if you have thoughts mm -hmm. about that now or if you think about it you know, over the next couple of days, I thought that was creative as a, yeah. a, mitig a mitigation the only issue is, is you're not going to have uh, altitude, vector, information, speed, all that kind of stuff. Okay, we'll go which back is with... not, yeah. No, but which is not an issue because the tolerance of the, um, the, you know, the accuracy tolerance for both uh, lateral and vertical is within the flight envelope of the race, the entire flight envelope. So if you think of the, you know, like a parallel pipe bit of, where am mm -hmm. I flying, right? It's 100, 150 by maybe 100 feet by 50 feet. And tell me where I'm wrong, Alex. You know, maybe a little bit, maybe it's 200 yeah. by Depends. 150. Let's just say it's 200 by 200 by 50. That's pretty close to the to the accuracy requirements. And if you put the, the module in the middle, it covers it. Mm -hmm. It's not a bad thought. So, not a bad thought so it's, you know, I thought, hmm, that's pretty clever. You know, yeah, and it certainly satisfies the intent, you know, and, and it satisfies an FPV racer's desire of, I really don't want to add any weight to this. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. So pretty clever. And, and Alex, as I as I said, if thoughts on that idea, you know, come to an mind. Event broadcast please. station. So I basically create an event broadcast station. That's a method of complying with the rule where anywhere within the covered broadcast station of this of that module is covered temporarily for all aircraft and all incidents or notifications go through the point of contact X for that station. Yeah, exactly. You exactly. And my thought would be the event manager. Well, if the, you know, if the, the event manager is going to know who the racers are. And so the FAA could come back and say, well, you don't know who's flying. It's like, Oh yes, we yeah, do. do. We have registration. <laughs> right. So, this is you know, to, me, it was a very, <laughs> to me this was a very creative uh recommendation so uh, that was that came out of okay. the, i was yeah. in the, in the be... comments yeah so yeah, I uh useful so, so I, did, we... We, did i stall long enough for your uh for, for you to get those screenshots up yep. uh, i've had every i've had this for much <laughs> <laughs> at the start of that excellent so well, so if I launch the free dashboard, are you guys? Yep, I can see. So this see is it. basically what happens when you see the free dashboard. You can see I've done, I've submitted four. I have a draft of one. I can manage them. Uh, if I go for this one here, this is a local flying field. But that that just shows um, part of that. Uh, let me. Yeah, if you go back, you can just really like start a new one. Create, yeah, create one. So on this page is where 
it's asking us or asking the person applying if they're a CBO or educational institution. Since we're a CBO, we can select that. Select a community-based organization. We can choose any of the three. So the FA has no limitation currently, but yeah, so, so weird. Anybody the, can. That's fill what this we're out. trying to. Anybody yeah. can select that, and it doesn't like the CBO doesn't get notified. We don't know exactly. anything about this. Like everybody in the world could submit one of these under the AMA or the FPV Freedom Coalition, and we don't like know what tests. would happen next. Exactly, mm. and the. Basically, part where the FAA claims to be safe for themselves is where the declaration works, where you say you have the authority to act on behalf of the CBO. And so unless they're reaching out to the CBOs on every single one of these requests, mm-hmm. then they aren't yet. You know, I haven't heard like, well, I haven't no. heard anything. I know, right? Unless they will um, in the future. So, I don't know. Exactly. Maybe they haven't staffed but, that department yet. Yeah, that's what. Well, we're trying to work on saying if we can be like, Hey, all FPVFC members, you're authorized, but we don't know if we can do that yet. So and, we're just remember, we're trying to work out that kind of stuff. Their nominal response time is 90 days. And, and I'm expecting mean, at least five that months. <laughs> that doesn't mean you'll get an approval in 90 days. That just means you'll get a response in 90 days. Yeah. I was totally I'm expecting five months that dave you created our cbo application you'd be in there in the cbo dashboard and you would be able to request frias and nobody else could but that's not how it looks like right now apparently yeah that 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 is what i expected as well joshua yeah so there's at least 169 uh priya applications submitted so I imagine I think a good I did one of those after are going to be. I have a feeling right? it's going to be at least not five months. What? Most of those are the AMA, more than likely. Yeah. yeah. So and can I would we, assume can go there's only five or, or six FPVFC. What do you? We can't uh, see anybody else's ones that have been applied okay. for. Yeah, we can't see any others. Only the ones that we've right. done. Gotcha. Right. And I can only see mine. Which is, you know, that's, you know, so we'll more, more work to be done to, to figure mm. this out. Yeah. Good, good suggestion. Well, Meet. We should try to, to hack the URL and see if we can get into somebody else's. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully uh, they're smarter than that, but you never know. Yeah. Let's not burn it's some. It's the government. I don't think. <laughs> FBI. Share up. it to one of us and we'll find out right now. All right. Well, any um, of you could go log in and, and yeah. do the same thing. Yeah. Assuming you've you've oh. gone to the drone zone before and you've created an account there. Obviously registered, all that fun stuff, yeah. All right, so I uh, just wanted to answer a couple of these questions. So Shawnee D says, uh, what about indoor and outdoor flights on the same flight? That's over 90% of my Part 107 flights. So while you're outside, you're subject to the FAA's regulations. While you're inside, you are not. You're not. Have, yeah, so it can be a half and half flight, right? So... Just make sure while you're outside the building, you are adhering to um, FAA regulations, CBO guidelines if you're flying recreationally, Part 107 if you're flying commercially, which it seems like a lot of your flights are because you are responsible. Yeah, but it gets more complicated because you shouldn't Mm -hmm. be able to purchase a drone that's not standard remote ID, so you can't turn it off when you're inside. But he's flying, I think he mentioned earlier, really small, like 20 grams and less drones under part 107 
and you can't add a remote ID module to that or it's not going to fly. So like he's in a really tough spot there. The FAA has basically said, you're out of a job. Sorry. Yeah. So, and that's the difference too, between a, an RID module and standard remote ID, right? So a remote ID module will not restrict your capability of taking off because it's a separate part, uh, whereas standard remote ID could. So, Oh, and I mean, he's just... saying he can't take off with remote ID indoors. Right. Technically, according to the specifications, you can pass the remote ID pre-flight check yeah. test with no satellites, no GPS lock, and then you can fly. That's uh, a, a weird loophole in the rules. Yeah. Right, and that's in the... In the mock, right? Mm -hmm. Not not in the final rule, but in the means of compliance that we that that, approved. Did, did I help write? <laughs> you know, minor role. <clears throat> so, uh, let's see. Um, could a notify and fly or landsite authorization for a specific location and temporary flight path? That's something we've pushed for a long time for rapid uh <laughs> So if you're having a weekend race with your buddies, you know, being able to set up a free and not have to, to, to run remote ID, something that hasn't, uh, the FAA hasn't, uh, deemed necessary yet. So we will continue to push that. We've pushed it for a long time. We will continue to do that. Yeah. I think um, when we get closer to the unmanned traffic management system, the lack of a network remote ID, all of a sudden, uh, notify and fly will become much more interesting. Mm -hmm. to the FAA and to NASA. All right. So Brian asked, does FPVFC have plans to create a dashboard for requests for us to manage uh, FREA requests? Good question. Uh, yeah, it's something we need to talk about internally. So we've talked about it a little bit, but we haven't uh, um, finalized anything or. Yeah, know, and we we thought out, so. we thought we might get some something, something from the FAA on this, but we'll see. Yeah. No. So I think a lot of it's going to depend on the FAA laying down restrictions on other, you know, people who are not the entity or the CBO, essentially, um, being able to access and, and request free is because right. that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So right. um, once that lockdown probably happens, then yes, we will have to manage that ourselves. So mm -hmm. um, let's see. I'm just trying to answer some of these questions here. Appreciate the uh, the questions. We love. Uh, right. the and then, of course, in managing data like that is uh, we have uh, considerations for personal identification information, PII, as well as um, concerns about uh, accepting any information uh, from any individuals under 13 years old. So we'll, yes. we're pretty uh, aware of uh, laws uh, of, about things like that. Let's see. What is our proposed method of rule updates and how often do we expect to make changes in the next one to two years and then beyond? So um, good, that, is another, that is another point of contention that we've had with the FAA. There is no current process for updating rules. So if we needed to make a rule change, uh, we don't know if we would have to resubmit and get reapproved as a CBO or if we could just submit, uh, just add something to the uh, to our rule set and sidestep the FAA, but then do we run afoul of them and they take our status away? You know, there, there's no, there's no. They're, they're, good, good example. The a good example to watch would be, for example, if we had something restricting racers 
to 4S batteries and we wanted to change it to 6S, how long would that take would that take the uh the organization and then the FAA to process that change. So that's something that good might be interesting. A good yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I couldn't have thought of anyone better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I keep saying I think the FAA thought they would make these regulations and set them in stone and they're done and never think about it again. <laughs> oh, besides, right. they said they they're done with recreational. Oh yeah, they anyways. were done with that beforehand. Right. Yeah. Right. That's a, yeah. So what Alex is who Alex is quoting is Jay Merkel uh, at the beginning of the B, um, Beyond Visual Line of Sight at Aviation Rulemaking Committee. Pretty close paraphrase. We're done with all recreational regulations. So now we're moving on to commercial. And that's what we're going to exclusively focus on in this BV loss arc. So we have um, AKA recreational doesn't make them any money so <laughs> well yeah we, so we we've had a you know a lot of discussions about that very point and some and of the with with the new deputy director of uh the integration office abby smith and there is a new uh direct uh division or executive director uas integration office jeffrey vincent is the new individual he is jeffrey replaces jay markle that happened that last that last week. Abby is not getting the role, which no. I, was, uh, I was bummed out because uh, Abby is, uh, yeah, we, uh, Abby is a, you know, so Abby continues as the deputy, um, deputy administrator of the UAS integration office. And Jeffrey steps in as the um, executive director, I believe, is, yeah. is his title. So we'll need to figure this gentleman out. And, uh, yes, he comes from. He has. He has. So I, I've, I recognize this type of uh, move. Uh, anyone who comes from a large corporation or maybe uh, the government can recognize this. Jeffrey has no experience in UAS. Hmm. Cool. He has no right. experience in a, in 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 advanced air mobility. He comes to you know comes so very with, malleable. <laughs> It comes with extensive experience from uh, ATM, uh, air traffic management. So uh, highly regarded, uh, you know, fantastic resume. I'm sure a very bright individual um, is made vice president in the FAA. And that's, so that's significant. I'm not being uh, sarcastic at all. Uh, so we'll see, uh, uh, we'll see what we have in front of us. Alex, I need you to take your Emax drones over to his office, please. <laughs> we gave those away, remember? Oh, you're killing me, Small. I, I asked Vic to hold on to them. He said I, he said I couldn't play with them anymore. I'm sure we could talk oh, Emax goodness. into sending another one if that was the I'm purpose. Sure could, or somebody else, for that matter. Yeah. You could probably get uh, a new, uh, yeah. just get you a gremlin from flight testing. <laughs> oh, I, I wanted yeah, that'd to. That'd be nice to have. <laughs> wanted to point out one other thing like if you really look into the all these rules closer you'll find lots of um things that just don't make sense or things that are impossible to um to enforce um for example like the whole manufacturing date of september or or december whichever way you want to look at it december yeah when is a home built drone manufactured when is a repair a replacement so I built this drone last January. Uh, I replaced a motor. I replaced an arm. Oh, I'm replacing the flight controller. 
Uh, now it's time to replace the rest of the motors, the props. Is but, it still the same drone? Dan, is it not the same drone? Well, why does? But for a home build, it doesn't matter, right? There's no. It's not subject to well, subpart let's, F. Let's say you're 21. flying this now under Part 107. You built it. You're flying it. You're, oh, you're doing Part 107. Right. <laughs> does it now, need remote ID? Does it not? It be, is it when when now, when has it been manufactured? Now it has to be a standard remote ID and the data manufacturer is very important. I'm with you. Yeah, like there's just so, so many things say, like unless that. You're, I would say, I mean, to me, and this is, again, best judgment, if you're replacing a majority of the parts or have replaced the majority of the parts, then it probably, I don't know, maybe <laughs> a thought. But if you're replacing the same, <sighs> right? Who knows? No, we fought or if you're replacing that, the same you, motor, let's say you're Alex and you you hit the same gate on the same motor and you 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 replace the just the one motor sixteen times, have you really replaced a majority of the parts? Nah, not really. It's his, it's his favorite X. And don't forget um, that you filled yeah, out the uh, the NASA form uh, for your drone accident every time you replace your the parts, right? right. Oh, right. of course, of course. Every time you break it's a like prop. a million questions. Uh, Jesus, I, I think I'd be. I think I'd be dead by the time I finished out <laughs> filling all those out so, for right? how I fly. So, so we're talk we're talking about the UAS, um, ASRS, Aviation Safety Reporting Report System, Report System, which is managed by NASA and is used in manned um, aviation, crewed, and uh, it's been now carried over to UAS. And the recommendations that uh, I ran a an ad hoc committee in the drone safety team presented it uh, to the full plenary on December eight. So far, so good. I uh, I have we have no dissenting comments. And in fact, the director of NASA, who uh, is responsible for all of ASRS, Becky Huey, uh, was enthusiastic and sent a, a note of praise on the presentation. So. This is the sort of thing, form is very important. Content is important. Form is very important. So, you know, um, we got positive comments from NASA. So now we can move this forward with the FAA. And of course, the co-chair of the DST uh, is Abby uh, Smith. And present on December 8 was Danielle Corbett, uh, her um, uh, sit-in for that day, a, a a uh, very capable uh, FAA executive. So that's progressing. So when we, and we did, um, the FAA recommended that uh, we do incident reporting and uh, in our safety guidelines, we uh, pointed over to ASRS and we're hopeful that over time, that will mean a very simple and frictionless uh, appropriate incident report that is aimed at best practices as opposed to I broke a prop. So to, to clarify that last point of David's, uh, of Dave's was that uh, in the uh, AC for CBO uh, rules, they wanted the CBOs to <clears throat> basically intake um, any kind of accident uh, information and uh, keep track of all of that and uh, submit that information to uh, the NTSB or the FAA as needed, you know, all this stuff. And it's just like, you just created a system for this. Like, why are you offloading that to the CBOs? So, and not only, not only offloading, this is, this is one where my father would use the expression, I'm in here for being crazy, not stupid. 
And so this would open us up to litigation from insur- for uh, insurance information, you know, retaining personal information, uh, accuracy of information would be getting uh, requests for electronic discovery from litig- litigation. Yeah, and this is a bit, and this is exactly what uh, ASRS has done. They create anonymized information so that the aviation community has the benefit of the data. So this is not to uh, hang out a CBO. So we're not going there. Yeah, and I mean, here's the thing is, you know, in the world today of of your data has value to every organization out there, every company out there, we don't want your data because then we have to manage it. In fact, our our membership uh, sign up requires the bare minimum information from you. And I think it's like an email address is the is and your and your name like that's it and so right. um we don't want your information we don't want any of that um if you need to submit any kind of accident report please do so through the uh um the NASA system. UA, uas and asrs don't email us about your accident i don't want that information um have a go out have a blast and uh, don't hurt anybody and don't hurt yourself. And, and uh, you know, if you crash, you crash. But, I mean, you know, uh, <clears throat> yeah, we don't want your information at all. Well, if you do get it, if you do get tangled in like a ball of guy wire and a gate, tag us because I want to see that picture. <laughs> yeah, we want to see the photos. Like, I want to see the aftermath, but, you know, yeah. I don't, I don't if, want If to you're exploded into a million pieces over like a concrete pad, I'll, I'll mm-hmm. want to see that picture too. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to see that, but yeah, I just you know don't report it. You know, we're we're not collecting that data. We're not we're not submitting it anywhere. We're not the drone police. We're not any of that. You know, we're here to help facilitate you guys having fun. Yeah, hey, I mean, I've made uh, many drone shaped holes in the snow. Yes. <laughs> uh, I remember cool. the 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 first accident or the first like drone explosion I saw. Um, uh, was my friend's quad was racing and they were just lapping, you know, going around trees in a park. And he clipped just he clipped a tree, and I don't know if it was a branch or the trunk, but everything kept going in a straight line until it just started like fanning out. And I mean, a GoPro went one way, a battery went another way, an arm went, you know, another way. It, it looked like uh, like a rocket explosion, it was pretty crazy. <laughs> I kind of flying. Well, see, uh, you know, another physics lesson that was yeah. on trajectory, right? We could have gotten mm-hmm. out, you know, we could have done dynamics and uh, static, uh, you know, tutoring right there. Yeah. So, well, we're running but, uh, a bit over time, uh, but I did yeah, want to mention one other thing quick that a common comment I've seen on YouTube videos is like, oh, now FPV pilots have to have a visual observer because all of our CBO regulations say if you're flying FPV, you need a visual observer. That's not us. That's not the CBO saying you have to do this. This is something that's already been a rule that you're already supposed to be flying, following, and it's nothing new, but it seems like it's a surprise to a lot of people. You're already breaking the rules, so that's that. And this is is something that uh, Kenji and Vic and Alex have all done work on, on trying to get uh, waivers for these submitted. I think Kenji's had two uh, approved for no yep. visual observer. Um, and, but those are, again, those are under part 107. So it's a little bit different. 
Um, but you know, one of the the feedbacks that we got from uh, Mr. Merkel um, during uh, one of the droning on after dark uh, podcasts that the FAA did um, was that the more waivers that get submitted for things and the more incident free uh, operations that happen, the more likely it is that they're going to look at it and say, meh, this isn't a big deal. Right. So, um, that's something that Kenji and Alex and a few others in the community have done some work on to try and push forward with visual observerless flights. So, or spotterless flights. And so hopefully that continues and, you know, we'll see some traction on that down the road. Uh, again, we've got new leadership in the drone UAS integration office. Um, so, um, you know, hopefully it's uh, somebody who's willing to listen and willing to be friendly to recreational and, uh, you know, allow us some some voices. But, you know, the nice thing is, is us and FTCA and AMA, if you want to look at it that way, we're we're all stakeholders now. And, you know, we can be a louder voice in the room and raise our voices, you know, a little bit more. So um, hopefully that makes a difference. Dave, anything else for us, man? Well said. Nope, we're cranking on the two um, tasking groups out of the uh, Advanced, uh, Advanced Aviation Advisory Committee. Um, that's TG14, TG15, has to do with uh, beyond visual line of sight as well as a uh, how to, uh, and the uh, other one has to do with uh, uh, you're a, um, a drone operator or a corporation and you want to um, start up a program at some different location, who and how do you communicate to make that frictionless? Local municipalities, government, landowners, et cetera, et cetera. And so a uh, good piece of work on uh, both of them uh, gearing up and that will we're on a, uh, a holiday break right now. That'll uh, uh, resume next week. Alex. Uh, anyone want to take bets on what the FA is going to drop uh, before the new year? They told us no, no. surprises. Oh, a couple days left. They, they did tell us no surprises. So <laughs> and we do. And and we think that the counter UAS is we're not going to hear anything about that arc until February at best. Okay. And that is 2023. We should, we should always <laughs> specify a year in these discussions. Yeah. So uh, for those who don't know, so in the last couple, uh, December 30th, 31st, uh, FAA likes to drop bombs, you know, right before the end of the year. And so the last one was uh, remote ID. Very, I think, very and... important. Right. Very important documents that just mm-hmm. require all hands on deck. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, analysis. Tried to hide them at the end of the year. Yep. Yeah. So, um, but uh, yeah. Uh, and I did, I did check to see if the, if the FAA dropped the uh, authoriz- the uh, reauthorization act into the ombuds uh, uh, document that was just signed. Uh, that funds the government through September, and it did not. So we anticipate that the. I don't think they can either because anyway. it's a single. Because that's a single. Uh, you know the what they just signed was authorization through September 2023, and of course, just as you as you were pointing out, the FAA reauthorization is a five year. So that's 23 mm-hmm. through 28. 
Yeah. So I so just, you know, just, be just check just to see if there was any little hints in there. There was not. So, yeah. It was a so 4,000 page. I mean, we, we don't know what's going to be in that. Um, we have reached out to uh, some select folk to see if we can, you know, make some suggestions on things that need to go in there and things that need to just take a walk off the short, short bridge. But uh, um, we don't know anything beyond that, um, beyond, you know, the, the little bit of outreach. So uh, as soon as that comes out, you, you can bet we'll be all hands on deck, uh, breaking that thing down, figuring it out and what it means for uh, the recreational community and probably the part 107 community as well because right. it all kind of goes hand in hand so um but yeah dan anything nope we covered it all all right guys so uh we'll see you guys in two weeks i appreciate all the feedback all the questions um it's all been uh, amazing keep that coming week after week so or every two weeks i should say um, and if you have anything in between, obviously we've got this massive discord channel. You can reach out to us via email. Um, all that's on our webpage, um, or Facebook or any of those, uh, those channels. So, uh, really appreciate all the feedback, the questions, um, and, uh, keep that coming because it, uh, lets us know what you guys are thinking and it lets us, uh, kind of plan what our next steps are. So, um, good deal. Have a great night, guys. Uh, have a happy and safe New Year's. And uh, don't get caught uh, missing or, or getting one of your flights canceled because uh, that's a bad deal right now, too. So uh, talk to you guys later. Bye. Here, here. Yeah.